Did y'all have a, a, a great 4th of July yesterday? Have some fun celebrations. Anybody uh, eat hot dogs? All right, so we had some hot dogs, bratwurst, hamburgers, steaks, brisket, tacos. See, I, I, I have a lot of friends all over the place. And so one of my close friends, he pastors a church down in Texas. And so I saw what his wife was making yesterday for their 4th of July dinner. And she's got skillet out and she's sauteing onions and peppers with strips of steak. And she's like, 4th of July fajitas. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that sounds so good. It was even in thinking about that, that, I mean, here we are. I mean, we're in Iowa. I mean, it's, it's Southern Iowa. So we're eating brisket and hot dogs and hamburgers and brats. And, and that's kind of what we're going for. But I'm looking at other parts of the country and they're eating different things. Uh, and especially depending on maybe the nationality that you have, your upbringing. So whether or not you born and raised here in Southern Iowa, or if you grew up, you know, not too far away from the Mexican border, or if you happen to be down in the deep South and they're having fried chicken and grits and greens, and I'm like, oh, it looks so good. And I'm seeing all these different foods and I'm loving it because I'm, I'm thinking about this. We are America. And I did put an A in there, so it's America. I mean, I, I could just drop the A. And, but that's one of the brilliant things about this nation. I mean, you've all heard it said that we're kind of like this melting pot where all of a sudden you get different people from different nations that are all coming together and we just, we have this. And I absolutely love it. Because if I didn't have this, I don't know if I would have been exposed to some of the other foods that are just absolutely amazing. If we did not have this type of a nation that brings things from other countries in here into this melting pot, I don't know if I ever would have discovered that you can take a bean off of a tree and roast it and grind it up and pour hot water over it and it delivers this delicious amazing liquid beverage that just sustains me all day long. Mm, coffee is good. I mean, it's, it's things like this that we're able to bring all of these things in. And that's this nation that we have. And yes, America is kind of this, this melting pot. And yes, America has its issues. Uh, I, I think we all realize that this isn't a perfect nation, right? I mean, I, I think we can, whether or not you believe it's good or great or flawed, we all agree it's not perfect. But it's still got so much to offer and so much to give. And that makes me thinking about like the kingdom of God, how there's all of these different people that are coming together from different walks of life and making up this beautiful body of Christ. And we have 
so much to offer to God's kingdom. As I was sitting here and thinking about this, I actually came across this uh, study that came, I want to say it was actually July of last year. It's from uh, the website uh, U.S. News and Reports. And so they did a survey of all of the nations, surveying them, figuring out, you know, what is their GDP? So basically, what's the gross profit on all of the domestic products that they're making? So how much are they worth? How much are they sustaining? How much are they providing to the rest of the world? It's looking at the population. It's looking at everything. And this report, this had a study with it. And the study was basically to find out what nation is the most influential nation in all of the world. Another way of putting it is what nation is there that has the biggest impact on the rest of the world in kind of propelling and pushing and influencing, helping them out? <laughs> Setting it number one, America. That's right. China was number two. We'll let them have the number two spot. Second place is the first loser, right? America's number one. And I'm thinking about this. And of course, I read it and I'm like, yeah, America did it. Because I'm a competitive type person. I don't care if it is playing video games with my children. I am going to destroy them. <laughs> I don't care if I'm playing checkers with a toddler. I will own you, child. <laughs> I, no, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not giving them a pass. No, you want first place, you got to earn it. You got to beat me at it. I mean, so much that I'm, I'm a huge fan of professional wrestling. And we have this game that we play. It's basically the name game. If you've ever played that, it's like where, you know, you would sit there and say, hey, uh, Joshua Verwers. So then you would have to take the V from my last name and come up with a name to follow it that starts with a V. And then you go around. And that's just kind of the name game. So we do this wrestling name game where you start with a professional wrestler like Hulk Hogan. And then the next person has to come up with another wrestler, but it has to start with an H. So then they're set in there and they're like, An another H? Ah, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. And then you've got even more H's and they're like, uh, an another H? Um, uh, 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 I, I, I don't know. And then, the, yeah, I mean, we can do this. But my kids, eventually, they will lose out. Because I've got this vast <laughs> wrestling knowledge. And the game is not even called the wrestling name game anymore. Children, what is the game called? Dad wins. That's what the game is called. It is not the wrestling name game. It is dad wins. Why? Because dad wins every single time. That's, that's who I am. I've got this competitive nature. I am going to be the best. I am going to be first. And if I can't, I'm just not going to play at all. And I honestly, I wonder if maybe that's a little bit of this Americanism that's in me that kind of comes out. Where all of a sudden it's like, I have to be first. I have to be the greatest nation. I have to set the pace for everybody else. Even though I'm America 
I'm only 240 years old. Even though I'm the youngest of all the nations out there, I'm going to be the best. And it's kind of this national philosophy that we have. We have to be the best. We have to be the first in space. We have to have the biggest internet usage and social influence. We're going to be the first one to offer 5G. Yeah, we didn't do that. Uh, I think China beat us to the punch on that one. But we have all of these things that we want to be first and we want to be best. And I read this report and it's like, hey, we're first. That's awesome. And I noticed something that inside of me, as I was reading that, there became this pride. And even yesterday, I'm, I'm listening to different people and I'm listening to different songs and I'm reading on Twitter and a lot of people are saying, I'm proud to be an American. And now don't get me wrong, there's a certain level of pride that is okay. But there's a level of pride that is not okay. I mean, the Bible tells us that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And, and when I think about things like this, it gets me wondering that is it okay for us to be proud to be Americans? Where is that threshold when all of a sudden the pride that we have for this nation becomes too much? Because if it becomes too much, that pride can cause both believers and unbelievers to stumble in their walk with God. That pride can lead us to seek the kingdom of America rather than the kingdom of God. We're told through scripture that humility is this powerful key that we have to have. Humility is what Jesus had. Humility is how Jesus operated. Humility is how we ought to operate. If we call ourselves Christians, that means that we are like Christ. We should be humble like he was. We can read through the Bible. And if, and if you've ever kind of read through some of the Bible stories, you see that Israel was a proud nation. Israel understood that they were God's chosen people. A lot of us in America believe the same thing, that America is God's chosen nation. And yet Israel, when they would take that to an extreme, all of a sudden it wasn't about building these, these temples to worship God. It was about building these temples so they could just show off. And it jumped from humility to pride. It jumped from serving and seeking the kingdom of God to serving and seeking the kingdom of Israel. We fall in that same trap where we jump from seeking the kingdom of God to seeking the kingdom of America. And I think we have to find this balance. I think we do find this balance in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And so if you guys have got your Bibles, I want you to turn there. We're going to go to this story in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And this story picks up with King David. And it's interesting to me because, I mean... You, you can read through First Chronicles and you see a lot of what King David was able to do. You see a lot of his, his path. You're able to see before he was even king. 
you know, here I am and I'm slaying a giant and here I am and I am conquering kingdoms. And in 1 Chronicles 29, this is like the culmination of this, this book. And it's one of the last things that he says to the nation of Israel. It's one of the last things that, that he says and he leaves to his son Solomon. And he's leaving this, this letter and he's leaving this writing and this statement. And it's coming on the back of them accumulating all of this wealth, becoming this great nation that has found freedom from their oppressors. And now they are one of the greatest nations out there. And they have all of this stuff and they're trying to glorify and honor God. And so they're wanting to build this amazing temple with all of their resources. Sound familiar? I mean, there's a parallel here with where we find ourselves in America. You know, we're trying to seek freedom from the oppressors. Silly Brits. What were they thinking trying to hold us back and not allowing us to worship freely? I mean, that's, that's why we celebrate yesterday, Independence Day. We are independent from the British rule. We are on our own. But we're not supposed to be on our own. We're supposed to be with God. First Chronicles chapter 29. I want us to read here verse 10 through 19. It says, Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, And David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty, for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand, it is to make great and give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are your people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now with joy, I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and our fathers, keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people, and fix their heart towards you. And give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments, and your testimonies, and your statutes, to do all these things, and to build the temple for which I have made provision. I mean, this coming from David, this message that is coming from him, It is humble. It is honoring. And it's very profound. Because in this, we can really kind of break it down and find three keys to humility. The, The three keys, if you were to look at this and you break it down, you can see that there's a praise, there's a posture, and there's a prayer. 
a praise, a posture, and a prayer. And he starts off here in verse 10 through 11, and he's starting off with praise. He's starting off there. I mean, blessed are you, Lord our God. Verse 11, he's like, you, O Lord, yours is the greatness, power, and glory, victory, and majesty. Everything in heaven and on earth is yours. This is praise. This is praise because David is acknowledging, first and foremost, who is God? Who is God? I mean, first and foremost for us to be humble and to make sure that that we don't get into a nationalist pride, but we come in with a, a humble seeking for the kingdom of God. For us to have that humility, for us to make sure that we check our pride at the door, we have to start with who God is. Not who is this nation, not who am I, who is God? Who is he? And when we start with that, We start with that like David started with that. Where David is starting right out the gate and he's like, you God, you are the one that is great. Your name is greatly to be praised. I mean, praise. And this is something we don't get. I don't think we do enough teaching as the church, as the body of Christ, enough teaching on what praise is and how to operate in praise and why we need praise. David knew praise. Israel knew praise. Even the apostles knew praise. But the church today, I think, doesn't know praise. When you think about praise, I can't help but to think about 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, you've got this story where here's Israel and you've got a multitude of nations coming after Israel to destroy them. A multitude of nations coming around. And and, and what is it? King Jehoshaphat at the time, he's like, you know what we need to do? We need to pray and we need to fast and we need God's direction on what to do. Man, if this nation would do that and say, hey, we got some problems. We got a multitude of problems coming at us. You know what we ought to do? We ought to fast and we ought to pray and seek God for the answer. And I guarantee if we did that, we're going to get the same answer that Israel got. You know what that answer was? God replies back to them and he's like, hey, don't be afraid. This isn't your battle. This is mine. This is the amazing thing. They get that message from God. Don't worry about it. So they went to bed. They slept. Didn't prepare anything. They just go to bed. They're like, all right, God's got this. Go to bed, wake up the next morning, and they're like, okay, so God did tell us that we're supposed to go to battle. I got an idea. How about we get some people to just start singing praises? That's what we're going to do. We're going to get some praises. And in 2 Chronicles 20, it says, Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against their enemies. They're praising, and all of a sudden, all of their enemies start getting ambushed by each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't have to lift a finger in the battle because God had taken care of it. Fast forward into the New Testament, you see the Apostle Paul, and here he is, and he's sitting in prison. And he's all jailed up, and what do they do? They start singing in prison. They start singing, they start praising, the walls start shaking, the chains start breaking, and they're set free. And then the guards start running scared. And they're like, don't, no, don't worry about it. We're not coming to attack you. We didn't do anything. This is all God. 
This is God. See, here's the thing. That praise is a path of faith to lead us into the power and presence of God. Yes, it is a path of faith. We are told to walk by faith. One of the paths that we ought to be walking by is a path of praise. Praising God. When David started praising God, it checked his heart because he realized, you, God, everything belongs to you. It's yours. Everything I see, everything that I am, everything I could ever offer, it's all yours. So David goes from praise straight into this posture a posture of being checked. A posture, as we see there in verse 14 through 17 of, of 1 Chronicles 29. This posture is now not David acknowledging who God is. It's David acknowledging who he is. It's David acknowledging who we as human beings are. We as human beings. If you look there at, at verse 14, he says, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? He's like, who are we? Who are we? Our lives are just but a shadow. It's just a remnant here. And God, you're giving us the opportunity to give something to you, something that you gave us to give to you. That you're going to love this, but you already had this. And David's just kind of like, aha. See, this wasn't just David. The Apostle Paul understood this. The Apostle Paul understood that we have to have a posture of knowing who we are. That's why the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 3 through 6, he says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Now, here, here's this thing. This, this soberly, every now and then in my preaching, I like to give you a Greek definition. Why? Because it makes me look smart. No. <laughs> That's not why. I do these because sometimes we hear this in English and we're like, oh, soberly. Okay, so we should think of ourselves without an alcoholic beverage in our hand. That's easy enough. No, no, that's not what it means. This word soberly is the Greek word sophroneo. And what it really means is to think with a right mind, to be reasonable and to be sensible. To think sensibly. You are not God. Does that make sense? Yeah. Amen. That's thinking sensibly. So Paul is saying, don't think more highly than you ought to think. You're not God. Think soberly, sensibly. You're not God. As God has actually dealt to each one the measure of faith. We have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Here's the thing. Having gifts given to us. Who am I, God, that you would give this to me so I can give it to you? The Apostle Paul knew this. Don't think more highly than you ought to think. Think soberly. Who am I, God, that you have given me the gift to speak your word? You have given me the gift 
to prophetically proclaim your message? Oh, yes, I'm going to do it because you gave it to me and you want it. You see, that's thinking with the right mind, thinking soberly. Who is God and who am I? See, there's this teaching that's kind of gone on in our circles, and we would kind of classify ourselves as word of faith. Yes, we will wear that proudly. And I know people look at the word of faith camps and they're like, uh, oh, those name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, prosperity type people. Romans 10.8 says, what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the word of faith. And that's what we do. But in our circles, there have been people that have sat there and said, you know what? We're children of God, so we're like little gods. I'm like, dude, what Bible are you reading? They're like, oh, well, we have a new nature because we are a new man. And the new man was created in God's image and likeness. Yes, his image, not his nature. It's still a human nature, but it's a new human nature created in his image. We are not little gods. We are still human beings. And yes, that means he still made human beings just a shade above the angels which are still below him. We got to think soberly. We got to think with the right mind. The Apostle Paul goes on and tells us about this old man, new man, and making sure that we understand this in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul is talking to what he defines as the elect. He's talking to the people that are holy and beloved. And in Colossians 3.10, he's telling us that, hey, we need to put off all of the bad works. Put off all of the bad works and put on the new man who's renewed according to knowledge of the image of God who created him. Who is God? Who am I? I am a man, a new man in Christ Jesus, which means I don't have to operate like my old man that had all the sinful desires. I now have this new man that I'm able to now operate sin-free. But it's a struggle and it requires work because as Paul says in Romans 7, inside me there's this war going on. I I'm doing the thing I don't want to do and I'm not doing what I do want to do and it's just this battle that's inside. But here's the thing. The unbelievers, the non-Christians, they don't have that battle going on inside. They don't have the new man. All they have is the old man. Doesn't mean they can't do good works. What it means is they can't help themselves from sinning. We can. Because we have that new man. But just like there's this war that's going on inside us, this old man, this new man, there's this war that should be going on inside us. I'm an American, but... I'm also a resident of the kingdom of God. What does this mean? Where's my true posture at? Is my true posture seeking the kingdom of God or seeking the kingdom of America? See, David even recognized this thing. In verse 15 of 1 Chronicles 29, he says, We are aliens and pilgrims before you. 
Even David recognized, hey, we're strangers in the kingdom of God. This is your kingdom, God. But you've allowed us in. You've allowed us into this melting pot kingdom that you call the kingdom of God or, or other translations will call it the kingdom of heaven. You've allowed us in there. We're foreigners. We're illegal immigrants. But yet you've made us legal. You've given us freely a path to citizenship in your kingdom. And now we reside there, but we also reside here. And, and what does this mean? So Paul starts with this, this path towards humility. Or not Paul, but David. He's doing this path towards humility. And he's saying, we got to start with praise. we got to recognize and acknowledge who God is. And then we're moving into this posture. This is who I am. This is who we are. And then he goes to prayer. So he goes from praise to posture to prayer. And that prayer, you see it in verse 18 and 19 of 1 Chronicles 29. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the intent and thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart toward you. Fix their heart toward you. Keep this in their heart. What is this? This that he just said. You are God. I am not. But you've allowed me into your kingdom. Keep this in their heart forever and fix their hearts towards you. And did you notice that the very next verse, David says, hey, remember my kid Solomon. He doesn't start with a prayer for his people. He starts with a prayer for God's people. He's seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things are added to him. You see, if we've started with praise and we've got the right posture, our prayer will lead us to pray for the things that God desires more than the things that we desire. We will start seeking what he wants first. We will start saying, God, I want your people to rise up and be obedient. I want your people to be who you've called them to be. And while you're at it, God, can you help my family do the same? He's seeking God's family before his own family. See, this is, this is amazing and it's profound. I sit there and I think about that and then it's like this question coming in. It's like, are we seeking the kingdom of God or are we seeking the kingdom of America? And, and for anybody watching online that's not in America, are we seeking the kingdom of God? Or are we seeking the kingdom of your nation? What are we seeking after? How do we see ourselves? How do we see God? Do we see God as who he is? Or as the God of this nation? Because our perspective will direct our pursuit. If our perspective attaches God to this nation, then our nation and our viewpoint is going to attach God or this nation to our pursuit. And it's going to be America first, not God first. And quite frankly, I am glad that not every nation is America. Because if every nation was America, you know what? 
we wouldn't be first. <laughs> and I like being first. Okay, so what does this mean for us? I mean, how do we do this? How do we keep things in the right perspective? How do we stay humble? How do we stay out of pride? Start with praise. Start with praise. And here's a great right now current issue. The NFL is debating having the Star Spangled Banner or lift every voice and sing the national anthem or what is considered the black national anthem. And maybe we'll do both of them. And then which one do we put in which order? I'm telling you right now, me personally, I'm more interested in what is sung on a Sunday morning than a Sunday afternoon. Because I care more about the praises offered up on Sunday morning than the praises offered up on Sunday afternoon. And don't get me wrong. I love this nation. I love God more. And I love God first. So start with praise. Keep it in perspective. Start with praise. It's God first. Oh, so you're saying that we shouldn't celebrate this nation at all. No, no, go ahead and celebrate it. Just don't worship it. There's a difference between celebration and worship. This is about having the right posture. First and foremost, you, as a child of God, are a citizen of heaven. Secondly, you're a citizen of the nation. Remember, God's kingdom, perfect in every way, America is not. So keep that in check. Go ahead and celebrate. Just don't worship. Oh, well, so what should we do then? How, how do we do that? We're starting with praise, and, and yes, we can celebrate, but, but how do we actually celebrate? Obey and pray. Did you like that, that little pastoral alliteration? Obey and pray. Obey and pray. Look at this. This is 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 4 out of the New Living Translation. Paul's saying to Timothy, I urge you, first of all, pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. Actually, that looks like a different one. I'll read that one, okay? First of all, pray for all your people as you make your requests. Plead for God's mercy upon them and give thanks. Pray this way for kings and all others who are in authority so that we can live in peace and quietness in, godly, in godliness and dignity. This is good and it pleases God our Savior. Why? Because he wants everyone saved. If we will pray for all of our leaders, if we will pray for our nation, if we will do that, we might be able to just lead a quiet, peaceful, chaos and riot-free life where people could be saved. How amazing would that be? How amazing would it be if we don't have political bickering 24-7, 365? How amazing would it be if there wasn't racial tensions that lead to rioting? How amazing would it be if this nation truly turned its heart towards God and cared more about pledging their allegiance to our Savior 
than to a flag. I don't know. I just think that would be kind of amazing. And, and I hope you don't think that this is a bash on America. I think out of all the nations, we're the greatest among them. I also think we're imperfect. I think we have a checkered past with a lot of wrongs that have happened. But I also think we've done a lot of good over the years. I try to keep things in perspective. Because while we've done good things, while we've done great things, we've done a lot of ungodly things. And we just need to be better. Why? Because there's still time. So I think that's what we should do. Let's pray.